to the Cake Adjacent Podcast, a once a week update on all things food, family, community, gardening, whatever. We call it Sidecar. If it has to do with rituals around food and holidays, making food or taking it places, or remembering just what we were eating during important times in our lives, we'll talk about it here. Hi, friends. I'm going to take this opportunity to tell you a little bit about what I do in my day job, which is running a small nonprofit and working as a fierce environmental advocate. I'm going to tell you less about the actual job and more about what it's like to have this kind of job in this kind of political climate in light of the recent Supreme Court ruling that gutted the EPA's ability to regulate things like greenhouse gas, clean water, and clean air. This is especially timing, not just because of how important clean air and water are to like life, but because October is the 50th anniversary of the Clean Water Act, or so. There were a few iterations, but we're going with October. And you might not have heard about this ruling because of all of the rulings that have been coming out have just been so awful. It's been like trying to drink from a fire hose of polluted water. I joke that it's stuff like this, that crazy, mostly right-wingers and self-styled libertarians who are all about no rules until someone crosses them, and then suddenly they want all the rules, right, Rand Paul, who believe in zero regulations. That is job security for people like me. And I'm not wrong, but I'm definitely making light of a situation that's pretty serious. How long has Flint, Michigan men without clean drinking water? As of late May this year, there were still over 2,000 households that did not have clean drinking water in Flint. How often have you seen, maybe in your own community after a big rain event, that there's a boil water advisory? Or read an article about how there's so much microplastic in water that it's being found in the deepest depths of the Arctic and in the blood and flesh of fish and mammals, seemingly bioaccumulating like mercury. Or seen on the news how exposed our drinking water infrastructure would be if it suffered some kind of terrorist attack. I grew up in a house that had well water before there were apps that told us how much water was in the well. And we absolutely had to keep track of how much rain we had in the months preceding and to know whether or not we could do laundry or water the plants or take showers. Water is really important. I don't presume that everyone who listens to my pod is a bleeding heart, tree-hugging liberal, but my guess is that many of you are, probably because I'm not sponsored by guns or juice cleanses or protein and testosterone powder or rage grease or whatever it is that Joe Rogan rubs all over his head. So I take liberties with my language and my positions because honestly, if you're not with me, you're against me. And there are plenty of other podcasts for you to listen to where you can be assured that your privilege is being continuously wrapped in virgin plastic bubble wrap and given all the consideration in the world while the rest of us burn. So suffice it to say that I keep up with current events, not just environmental, and I hope that you do too. And now and then we're going to talk about stuff like that here. And today is one of those days. So for my job job as an environmental advocate who works primarily on plastic pollution and water quality, July is hashtag plastic free July. And I often feel a little cringy about these things. These worldwide hashtag movements are about pointing to the individual and saying, hey, you need to solve this problem with plastic pollution or climate change or gas cars or whatever it is. 
And I'm reminded of something that is said often, but in many different ways. But the gist is stop blaming people for their individual choices when the problem is with systems and their failures, that is corporations and politicians. While these movements are often grassroots supported, they are pushed by big corporations who are more than happy to shift the blame for the problem on the individual. We can shame people from now until the end of time about their use of plastic straws. And spoiler alert, if you're using a straw in a restaurant because you're worried that the glass is dirty, I have some news for you about the forks, knives, spoons, plates, cups, and bowls, the state of the kitchen, the bathroom, the chef, the server's hands, etc. And whether they use their own coffee cup at Dunkin', but see, that's not going to fix the problem, which is so vast and overwhelming, and individual actions operating in a vacuum just isn't going to fix it. Not that you shouldn't be doing those things because you should. It's just that it's not ever going to be enough. There's a phenomenon in environmental work that there's this constant drumbeat from both big environmental groups and from corporations, that the only thing that can solve climate change are individuals making small, different choices, like to use reusable grocery bags or use paper straws. But that's just absolute bullshit fabricated by those big corporations to keep us doing these piddly little things thinking we're making a difference, when what really needs to change are the big corporations and legislation that governs them. They talk a big game about recycled content and, quote, ocean-bound plastic, unquote, and they literally make their packaging green colored to try to fool you into thinking it's somehow better for the environment. And they spend the month of April talking about their commitment to the environment, all while churning out billions of new plastic gigaws and bottles and crap that cannot and will not be recycled by design. And so what we always say in our little nonprofit work is, yes, go ahead, please do make those changes that are more sustainable in your life, like using less disposable plastic, because a lot of disposable plastic and polystyrene is actually really bad for your health, aside from it being really bad for the environment. And make sure that when you do have to get a bottle of Fiji water as some kind of last resort because you were robbed of your backpack and your stainless steel double-walled water bottle with all your favorite stickers on it was in there, that you are recycling that bottle properly. But I recognize it happens because sometimes even I leave the house without my water bottle and I need to get something to drink. So buying single-use plastic should absolutely be the exception, never the rule. But you can do two things at once. You can make these personal behavioral changes with reusables and cloth napkins and net produce bags. And at the same time, you can be holding big corporations and government officials' feet to the fire to make sure that they are making legislation serious and lasting changes that are in fact sustainable. Because bottled water companies and beverage companies and their associations, which are legion that are just dowsing themselves in greenwashing are not going to make the change until they have to. So let's make them make the changes. And when we make them make the changes by making laws and regulations that they have to live by. And here's a political and environmental example of what happens when corporations don't think we're smart enough to realize that we can actually see what the left and right hands are doing. A few years ago, California and the Trump administration were in a legal beef about California's plan to set their own greenhouse gas and fuel efficiency standard for vehicles. 
And of course, the folks in the last administration with their brain trust in the Environmental Protection Agency wanted to lower all the standards or have none at all. Big surprise. A few car manufacturers sided with California right from the start, Ford, Honda, Volkswagen, and a few others, but several others sided with the previous administration and signed on to the lawsuit despite indicating they would not. General Motors, Toyota, Subaru, Hyundai, Kia, Mazda, Mitsubishi, as well as the Automobile Dealers Association all hitched their station wagon to that star under the guise of a new group called the Coalition for Sustainable Automotive Regulation. Assuming, I guess, that we would not realize that while Toyota said they would not fight the new standards in California, they absolutely did by joining this new coalition that was fighting the new standards in California. But as soon as Biden won the election in 2020, they all had a change of heart. And they all said they'd work with the new administration to protect the environment after all. And why? Because they're opportunists who do not care about the environment or anything but the bottom line. And if you're a person who believes in trickle-down economics and environmentalism, then you do you. But Reaganomics has been pretty well debunked for the last almost 40 years. The rich get richer, the poor get poorer and sicker when we do not have environmental regulations. When they say, quote, the tide lifts all boats, they forget that the rich can move inland when climate change lifts all those boats in the harbor and puts your city underwater because of 500-year storms and floods that are now happening every two years. I know that's a messy metaphor, but I think you knew where I was going with it. And remember after January 6th when lots, like thousands of companies said that they would either stop or, quote, pause or suspend, and I'm doing air quotes, their contributions to elected officials in Congress who actively objected to the peaceful transfer of power? Would you like to guess how many of them either just waited till you weren't paying attention and started funding those people again or funded them through PACs and other means? If I were to list all of the companies that went back on their word and funded the Congress people who objected to the election results, but not their election results, this podcast would be more than three hours long. The list of the companies that kept their word is much shorter, I'll tell you that. So I will link the report that I'm looking at in the show notes, but my point is that there isn't enough for us to just do our individual actions. Right now, we are all hearing from all sides about all the things that we as individuals have to do to fix the fact that our democracy is being eroded every single day. Every single day, I am getting frantic texts from elected officials at every level of government about how dire things are. And I'm like, hello, I know how dire things are. I elected you to fix it. Where have you been? And no, I'm not sending you $12 to ensure that Roe v. Wade is saved because that ship has sailed. I'm sorry, I do not know why I have so much boat imagery in this podcast. Yes, we need to vote. Almost half the eligible voters in this country simply do not vote. I don't know why. Maybe because they think their vote doesn't matter or maybe because it's becoming increasingly difficult to vote in so many places across the country, and the right would call that a feature, not a bug. I love voting. I have not missed an election or a primary since I turned 18. It might be the most consistent thing I have ever done in my adult life, but I have never lived anywhere where it has been difficult for me, a white, educated, 
middle-class woman to vote. I have always been able to take time out of work to vote, even when I've had to stand in line for hours. Not everyone has that privilege. But at the same time, we need to write letters to the editor of a local print and online newspapers. We need to get the vote out with those people who aren't voting. We need to call our senators and city council members and state legislators, and we need to give them a rash of shit on the regular. And we need to call out corporations that are either both sidesing it by giving money to both sides when one side is clearly trying to overthrow the government, or call them out for talking out of both sides of their mouths when it's convenient, like during Earth Month, but fighting environmental regulations the, all the 11 months out of the year, or turning their socials rainbow colored, but then supporting anti-LGBTQ plus candidates. It takes no time at all to call out a company on the socials. It takes no time at all to call your congressperson and leave a message because honestly, they are loath to have an actual human being answer the phone these days so you can just leave a message. And you can be specific about some stupid vote position they took, or you can be vague. I don't care. Just make sure you're tucking, touching base with your elected officials, even if you didn't vote for them, especially if you didn't vote for them. Do not let them operate in a vacuum. If you don't know who your elected officials are, send me an email at twochocolatecakes at gmail.com or send me a tweet and I will get you all the information you need to contact your local state and federal delegation. But what we really shouldn't be doing is eating each other. So stop with the purity test for candidates. Stop fucking sulking and undermining other candidates when yours doesn't win the primary. Put on your big person pants and work to affect their platform if their position is not what you wanted. We can and must do all the things at the same time or we quite literally will cease to exist. Okay. Who's hungry? We're going to need some food holidays if we're going to save democracy. So pitter-patter, let's get at her. Okay, I think I'm going to end up overlapping a bit with food holidays because I know I mentioned them when I recorded and dropped the pod on Tuesday. Today is sugar cookie day. I'm a big fan because I love sugar cookie cutters. Actually, they're not just sugar cookie cutters. I actually use them for my gingerbread cookies as well. If you ever need to send me a gift for some reason, a cookie cutter is always a good option. The weirder, the better. Some of my favorite cookie cutters are different shaped Christmas trees, leaves, animals of all sorts, birds, and fish. I also love sprinkles and sugars for sugar cookies. They really are just an all-around great cookie. Sunday is National Pina Colada Day, and Jen G and I have discovered we can grocery shop together by finding things in each other's grocery stores, and then we can try to buy stuff for our Agenda podcast and try it. And one of the things on that list for the future are these pineapple coconut popsicles we found last night, and they look so refreshing. Monday is Blueberry Muffin Day, and if you're from New England, especially Rhode Island and Massachusetts, you might remember the famous Jordan Marsh blueberry muffins. Oh my God, they were so good and they were huge. I should find that recipe and make those. But also my favorite way to eat a blueberry muffin is to split it, um, I guess, lengthwise, and then grill it with lots of butter on a griddle 
so that it gets all crispy on the edges. And that is just so delish. And it really is only good at a diner. It's hard to get that crispy finish on a pan at home. Tuesday is pecan pie day. And that is one of those holidays that I think is just placed wrong in the calendar because pecan pie is a fall pie. Thank you very much. But if you have a hankering for pecan pie, I have a very good recipe over on the blog at twochocolatecakes.com. I think it is maybe the fourth story in. Okay, so Wednesday is a big day because it is French fries day, said in my Oprah voice. Now, in this house, we call them potato bones. And here's how I like them in order of best to less best, because there really are no bad fries. Uh, shoestring, curly, regular fries, waffle fries, steak fries, home fries, which are not French fries, but don't at me. It is also Frank's and Beans Day, and if you haven't already heard the entire hot dog episode, episode, episode of the Agenda podcast, I do not know what you're waiting for because I think we're going to win a Peabody for that one. Thursday is Macaroni Day, and I think I mentioned that before, and it's also Grand Marnier Day, which I don't have a lot to say about, but I do encourage you to celebrate Pick Blueberries Day. There's another Two Chocolate Cakes episode and recipe about blueberry picking, so check it out if you're listening to all of these out of order. It's about the sixth or seventh episode in. Friday is Tapioca Pudding Day, and last week I bought a box of tapioca pudding so that I can make it. No, I didn't buy a box of tapioca pudding. I bought a box of tapioca so that I can make pudding. It is truly one of my favorite things, and it is so easy to make. Perhaps I'll bring back parfaits, which I always seem to make fun of, and I will use tapioca pudding in them. Saturday is corn fritters day, which is fine, and Sunday is peach ice cream day, and I'm a huge fan of peach ice cream. In fact, I pretty much like anything peach, to be honest. Peach anything. Peaches. I love peaches. Okay, so that's your food holidays for the week, plus a very healthy dose of political and environmental ranting, which I promise I will not do every week. And I will remind you that if you need some reusable produce bags for the farmer's market, just hit me up. I am really honestly happy to pop one in the mail to you if you send me a mailing address. The very last place you should be using plastic bags is at a farm stand or the farmer's market. A reminder that it is so helpful if you rate and share the podcast, and if you want to support the content I am creating, then you can do so by joining the Patreon, which gets you all kinds of perks. In fact, I just sent out a surprise on Friday to all the Patreons. They should get it next week. By supporting via Spotify or by throwing a few bucks my way on the coffee, and the links are all on twochocolatecakes.com or in my Twitter profile. So I hope that you have a good week. Please be a good citizen and pay attention to the world around you, even if it's hard. And I know, I know it is hard. I really do know it's hard. You can take breaks, but please don't assume that someone else is going to fix this. And remember that you can keep apples and plums in the fridge, but don't keep peaches and tomatoes in there. See you next week. Bye.